What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here. Kyle, my friend, my partner. Unfortunately, we have come to a close in yet another chapter. Yes, unfortunately, the football season has come to an end in the NFL. But I have to say, and I'm pretty sure you're in agreement with me on this one. Super Bowl 56 lived up to all the expectations. And, bro, the Los Angeles Rams are your Super Bowl champs for this season in the NFL. A great game from beginning to end. Came right down to the wire. But the Rams, they were just one of those teams, man. They got to host their own Super Bowl like the Buccaneers did last year and came out on top, bros. You got to give them a lot of credit. So, Kevin, I know we got a lot of topics to go over. It's going to be all NFL-related content today, but you ready to dive into this? Oh, without a doubt. All right, so pretty much we're going to go over the Rams winning Super Bowl 56. We'll kind of dive into some of the uh, the stories that go along with that. Talk about the Rams going all in and it, it paying off for them in a Super Bowl championship. We'll talk about Cooper Cup. He won Super Bowl MVP in that game against the Bengals. Uh, we'll talk about him possibly having the greatest wide receiving season in NFL history. We'll also talk about Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald was an amazing force on the defensive front for the Rams in that game against the Bengals. We'll just talk about his overall performance in that game. And we may even mention the possibility of him considering retirement. There have been some reports that he may think about that during the offseason, which would be which would be kind of shocking, to say the least. And then, unfortunately, you know, when there's a winner in the Super Bowl, there's a loser in the Super Bowl. And that's, unfortunately, the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals had a great run this postseason. Unfortunately, they come up short losing by the score of, what was it, 20, 23 20, to 20. 23 to 20. I was going to say 24-20. Um, we'll just talk about where things went wrong with the Bengals. Uh, we'll talk about Joe Burrow and his postseason run and what we could expect for him moving forward throughout the rest of you know the foreseeable future with him. And that's pretty much the agenda that we have for you guys. So let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into the Super Bowl content and We'll talk about the Rams winning Super Bowl 56. So, like I just mentioned, the Rams did beat the Bengals in Super Bowl 56 by the score of 23-20. to 20. It was a game where the Rams got off to a very hot start, got off to a 13-3 lead early on, but the, the Bengals were able to mount a 14-point unanswered run to the point where they were, I think, leading like 17-14. to 14. And Then it got up to, um, excuse me, 17-13, uh, 17-13, excuse me. Then it got up to 20 to 13. So actually it was 17 unanswered points. Uh, but the Rams were able to mount a pretty solid comeback in the fourth quarter. Matt Stafford was able to connect with Cooper Cup a few times on a pivotal drive that set them up for the game-winning touchdown drive that ended up getting them the win over the Bengals. So Kevin, I got to ask you, just what are your initial thoughts of the Rams winning Super Bowl 56? I thought it was a great game, man. Obviously, I was pulling for the Bengals, but again, I am not upset at the outcome because I'm just happy that certain players were able to be able to hoist up the Lombardi Trophy and become Super Bowl champions. So, I mean, biggest circle here um, has got to be Matthew Stafford. The trade paid off. They went and did exactly what they needed to do. They gave up their entire future, bringing in Von Miller, Jalen Ramsey, and obviously Matt Stafford. And they hoisted the trophy at the end of the year on their home turf. So, I mean, kudos to them. Matt Stafford had a couple of uh, errant throws. He had two interceptions early on in which it kind of looked like they were starting to falter. 
and they really started looking like they were going to kind of slip. But the Rams defense was able to keep that offense in the game and, you know, kept giving Matt Stafford opportunities to go and capitalize. Um, and then, of course, Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald was a force on this field the entire game between being doubled, uh, tripled, and then, of course, the Rams defense and their defensive coordinator, uh, Raheem, was it Robert? Uh, Raheem Morris. Raheem Morris was able to adjust and add a, a fifth pass rusher so that Aaron Donald could really uh, can really get that uh, individual coverage so that Leonard Floyd can get in, so that Von Miller could get in. And that defensive adjustment really made, you know, paid dividends. Joe Burrow was sacked seven times today, was knocked down several more. And, you know, the, the, the Bengals just were not able to capitalize on that final drive. So, I mean, big, big, big kudos to us. Uh, several players I want to give kudos to. Uh, first and foremost, Odell Beckham Jr. over to, you know, he was able to overcome the adversity that he had over in Cleveland the last three years. Um, Von Miller is able to hoist up a second trophy. Van Jefferson, uh, as a Gator fan, you know, kudos to him. And then, of course, Matthew Stafford, 12 years, man, 12 years in Detroit, zero playoff wins, one of the best quarterbacks in the league for quite some time, and he finally gets a Super Bowl ring. So, I mean, again, there's more players on this team that I really want to give kudos to, but overall those are going to be the big ones for me specifically. So, I mean, shout-out to the Rams for being Super Bowl 56 champions. What a game. Yeah, all in all, this was a game that lived up to expectations. And, Kevin, it's like you said, the Rams went all in for this Super Bowl run when they traded for Matt Stafford, and it paid off entirely with them getting this win over the Bengals by the score of 23-20. to You know, all in all, you know, the Rams, they were a team that was up and down, to say the least, throughout most of the year. They had a very good start at the beginning of the year, and then the middle part of the season, they showed some inconsistencies that were quite troubling. And then, really, I think that win against Jacksonville kind of like towards like the last third of the season, that's when they were able to get a little bit more momentum going into the playoffs. And then, you know, even though that they didn't get the best seeding going into this postseason run, it didn't stop them from having a great playoff run. They were able to get some big wins against teams like the Buccaneers. They had a great win against the 49ers in the NFC Championship game. And then it caps it off with a great win against a young but surgeon Bengals team and it just worked out perfectly for them. I you know it's like you said Kevin. You know you got to feel for Matt Stafford. It's been in the league for over a decade. Played in what I considered like one of the NFL's black holes when it comes to the Detroit Lions. Um when you look at the Detroit Lions, there's just a team that's just fully incompetent from top to bottom. And Matt Stafford was really that guy that kind of kept them relevant and one season goes to LA and captures the Super Bowl title after the initial trade took place a year later. It's just absolutely phenomenal when it comes to Matt Stafford and what he was able to provide for the Rams this year. Aaron Donald finally gets that Super Bowl trophy that he was coveting for so long. They had an opportunity a couple of years ago against the Patriots. They fell a little bit short, but Aaron Donald was just an absolute monster in that game against the Bengals this weekend. I mean, he made the plays that needed to be made on the last drive of the game on third and one was able to stop from the Bengals converting on that third down. And then on the fourth down play, he's able to get past the offensive line and he's able to get Joe Burrow off his spot and essentially damn near get a sack and force Joe to make an errant pass that turned the ball over on downs. gave them the win. I mean, Odell Beckham, you know, despite the fact that he got hurt, he was huge in that first half, was able to get a touchdown early on for the Rams. And Cooper Cup, Super Bowl MVP, well-deserved. He came up 
huge in that critical game-winning touchdown with just a couple minutes left in the fourth quarter. He was money, and there was no way that the Bengals had an answer for him throughout the entire course of the game, and he stepped up when it mattered the most and ended up getting the game-winning touchdowns. Uh, the game-winning touchdown, excuse me. He had two touchdowns overall. Just a dude's been a monster the entire year, and it's really just because he and Matt Stafford were able to connect with each other consistently throughout the season, and it showed itself once again in the biggest game of the year for them. You know, you got to give a lot of credit to Sean McVay. Sean McVay was really all in on this team. He's one of the youngest Super Bowl uh, head coaches to win one. He is and, the youngest. I mean, the guy's winning is like mid thirties, like thirty six or thirty seven years. Thirty six years old, bro. He is younger than your boy. Yeah, it's you know the boy that Kevin's referring to is Tom Brady. Tom Brady's forty four, so it really kind of goes to show how young Sean McVay is. It's just all in all, man. You got to give the Rams a bunch of credit. There was a lot of risk associated with you know putting this much investment into the team this year. OBJ, Jalen Ramsey, uh, Odell Beckham. Uh, just really, I mean, these guys were pivotal pieces for the Rams this year, and it culminates in a Super Bowl championship. So there's not much else I could say other than you got to give the Rams a lot of congrats on the season that they had, and they are well-deserving Super Bowl champions as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, I just want to make one quick note. I know we have some segments to hit. Odell Beckham Jr. unfortunately injures his leg in the second quarter. He was looking to be on quite the tear early on. He scored the Rams' first touchdown. He had another catch for a big game, and it, it, it looked pretty significant. It looked like it's the same knee that he had torn just two seasons ago, um, literally almost two years on the exact dot that he tore his ACL. I don't, I'm no doctor, but it was a non-contact injury. It looked like the knee buckled in a way that it could be a tear. He did not return to the game. So he did win a Super Bowl with the Rams. Thank you, God, that he did. But I'm praying that, you know, that he's all right, man. Nobody deserves to go through that much scrutiny and then have to suffer a loss like that in the biggest game of his career. Yeah, I mean, it kind of almost reminds me of a play. Um, I believe it was a couple of weeks ago, or it actually may have been may actually have been last year. Um, I remember like Mike Evans had a similar type of play where he was running a crossing pattern over the middle and he took one step and it literally looked like his leg like completely like fell apart after it. And, and this one with Odell Beckham, I mean, when you watch the slow-mo, it's, it's clear as day, like bro, his knee buckled and you just kind of assume the worst at this point. Hopefully um, it's not as bad as it looks and hopefully it was just a hyperextension. But, you know, typically when you see those non-contact injuries, usually a torn ACL, torn MCL, torn meniscus, you know, you hope for the best for OBJ because he was a pivotal piece uh, for the Rams really the last half of the season. And, he, bro, even though they only played one half in this Super Bowl game against the Bengals, still got a touchdown. It was extremely pivotal for the Rams' offense in that first half. And, Kevin, I... I know you wanted to mention something about Odell Beckham. We've been kind of talking about this before we started recording, and uh, I think you got some words, not for OBJ, but for a certain team that uh, that he was on for quite some time. Yeah, hey, let's put the camera on me real quick. Right, right, right. So Odell Beckham obviously was drafted by the Giants. Odell Beckham got the narrative 
diva, dramatic, um, very charismatic on the sideline, you know, throwing tantrums, kicking the field goal net, then being a, an on-field and off-field distraction, just a headache. The infamous on-a-boat pick for right before the playoffs in Green Bay. You know, just overall just an annoying person, right, for a lot of people that misunderstood him. And then he gets traded to Siberia, which at the time was Cleveland, and everybody thought, oh, my God, they're going to go win a Super Bowl. Oh, my God, Jarvis Landry, David Njoku, Austin Hooper, Baker Mayfield. I mean, you name it. They, 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 they had it on paper. They were projected to go miles beyond their expectations. And in two and a half seasons, Odell Beckham accumulated seven touchdowns. Odell Beckham played about nine, ten games with the Rams this year, seven touchdowns. Odell Beckham revitalized his career in L.A., and show that he still has all of the capabilities to be a number one option, to be a number two option at this maybe stage in his career, because we all know the Cooper Cup was first. But and well, and also Robert Woods was out with a torn ACL the second he got there, which just was a little too convenient for me. But that's just how it works in life, I guess. Overall, Cleveland, I'm looking at you and I'm looking directly at the camera. How does it feel to know that you let talent like that walk out of your facility with minimal stats? How is it that you back and support Baker Mayfield and say that you were still able to give Odell targets, give him opportunities to succeed? There was no issue between your quarterback and your number one receiver. And yet Odell Beckham was a non-factor in that offense. Odell Beckham was hardly targeted toward the last latter half of of his career in Cleveland. Was it because he wasn't open? I don't think so, because I'm pretty sure Odell Beckham Sr. was able to shed some light on that and show that his son, in fact, was open in a lot of film and show that his son was actually being mistreated because there's no reason for an NFL caliber quarterback like Baker Mayfield that you make him out to be was going to be able to miss somebody like Odell Beckham open. You're going to tell me that there were no other receivers or that there were more receivers on that team that were better than Odell. You're going to tell me that Baker Mayfield had no personal vendetta. I don't believe it. There's absolutely no reason. Is Matthew Stafford better than Baker by miles? Obviously now he's a Super Bowl champion, but prior to that, it's a whole different magnitude. I'm looking at the Cleveland Browns saying, you wasted two and a half seasons of Odell Beckham's career and you made him out to be a drama queen in a nutcase when in reality, when he got there, he basically kept his mouth shut as opposed to what he was doing in New York. He tried to do his best. He was with his best friend in Jarvis Landry, his college roommate. Obviously, he was trying to do uh, what was best for the team. You don't not target a top 10 wide receiver in the NFL in the second half of the season. You don't not target a person that is a mismatch nightmare against any corner in the NFL. You don't not throw it to a man that doubles, that demands a double team. But for whatever reason, Cleveland wanted to make it out that it was Odell. It wasn't Baker. That it was Odell and not the offensive play calling. So Cleveland can eat words and Cleveland can eat shit because Odell Beckham, whether he tore his leg or, or, or he tore his leg up or not, he was a contributing factor to the Rams winning the Super Bowl today. And for that, you guys look like a bunch of assholes. Kevin, I... I can't really disagree with you on, on this one. And when you kind of look at the initial the initial hope that Cleveland had when they brought Odell Beckham into the fold was that there was going to be this huge expectation that they were going to light up uh, the AFC. You know, Baker Mayfield was going to have his premier wideout alongside Jarvis Landry, David Njoku, and Austin Hooper. And they didn't go anywhere with it. And in fact, there was just so much drama stirred up between both Odell Beckham's camp and then the, the Browns camp. It was just a disaster. And I am glad that Odell was able to kind of get out of that situation, go to a better team, a Super Bowl contending team. 
in the Los Angeles Rams and show the world what I think a lot of people have thought that he's capable of. But just the situation in Cleveland was so disastrous that you had a lot of spe- you had a lot of people that were basically spectating and thinking that is Odell washed? Is Odell done? And as far as I'm concerned, what he was able to do the last half of the season and throughout this postseason run for the Rams, guy's in the prime of his career. Now, granted, you know, hopefully that knee injury was not significant because that would just be brutal for him. But, um, you know, Odell can look back in Cleveland, give them the middle finger all day. And, bro, he's got a Super Bowl ring to prove it now. So Cleveland just looks like a bunch of idiots. There's no other way of saying it. And it's like what Baker said. The Browns is the Browns, bro. Like, it is what it is. Just that's what Cleveland is. Cleveland is a team yeah. that is just mired in ineptitude. And I know that they've they've looked better recently compared to, like, the last, like, 20 years or so. But how do you let a premier wide receiver like that just – just you kind of leave him off to the side, like, kind of cast him off as a nobody? You knew what he had. You knew what his skill set was, and you didn't maximize it. It's like you said, the, the Browns look like idiots. Bro, and that's on that. And that's on that. Years. I know. You were only able to accumulate fifteen hundred and eighty-six yards and seven touchdowns. This man Odell was on the Rams for a total of seven to eight weeks, not including the playoffs, and he was able to accumulate in just the regular season. Excuse me. He played. Seven games, because the first one he sat out, he got 305 and five touchdowns. In the postseason, he was able to accumulate another two touchdowns. So you're telling me he has seven tuts in nine games, ten games. And in three years, you were only able to get him seven. This is what I'm saying, bro. Cleveland needs to look at that front office. Cleveland needs to look at Baker Mayfield and say, damn, we really had one of the best receivers in the league, and we didn't use him. Whether it's scheming against him, using him as a decoy, and, he wasn't open. The narrative and, is gone now, and, bro. Odell Beckham rose right back to the top and looked at them like this. And, and not only that, they had one of the best one-two running back combos in the league with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. And then you got you got Jarvis Landry, as your who's as a solid number two wide receiver, as you'll find throughout the NFL. I mean, to me, this is more of a reflection on Baker Mayfield than anybody else. Baker's a subpar quarterback. Because you put any other quarterback in that situation that Cleveland has with those players that they had on the roster. You put like Tom Brady in there. You put Matt Stafford. You put like an average to above average quarterback in that situation in Cleveland. That team probably goes to the AFC Championship game and is probably possibly going to a Super Bowl. Because they have studs on the defensive side, too. I was just about to make that point. I mean, you got Miles Garrett on that side. You got some really good playmakers on that Browns defense. If anything, bro, Baker looks like a tool. Baker looks bad in this one, bro. And I know Baker's been dealing with a bunch of injuries. The last couple of years, I this, know this season, year, this, this season mainly, yeah. This year, he he was definitely battered to say the least. He was dealing with that. Uh, I think he was dealing with a torn labrum uh, yeah. for pretty much the, most of the season. So I can understand why he was struggling this year. But seven touchdowns in two and a half seasns—that's that's unacceptable. Not and, for it, somebody like that. 
Baker's got to step up, bro. And I don't know how you're going to be able to step up when you got guys like that who are only getting seven tons in two years. That's it's a bad look. Well, well, Odell gets the last laugh. I mean, God willing, he's all right. But still, he, he gets his ring, man. So happy for him, seriously. 100%. But with that said, uh, we're going to keep uh, focusing in on the Rams. Um, I think they deserve a lot of attention for winning the Super Bowl. And uh, one guy that we're going to focus on in particular is the Super Bowl MVP, which is Cooper Cup. And Cooper Cup had a phenomenal game against the Bengals, had two touchdowns, had the game-winning touchdown at the end of the fourth quarter. And really, this performance that he had against the Bengals, it really caps off just a phenomenal season from Cooper Cup from beginning to end. And you could say that he arguably had one of the greatest individual wide receiving seasons that we've ever seen. And that's really the question that I'm going to pose to Kev here. Kev, to kick this one to you, did Cooper Cup cap off the greatest wide receiving season in NFL history after winning the Super Bowl MVP this past weekend? So, guys, that's a loaded question. For everybody that's going to give us all the shit in the comments, there was an extra game this season. Kyle and I are fully aware. We're talking about point blank, the numbers that he ended with this season, the accolades he achieved, and then, of course, capping it off with a Super Bowl MVP, which, quite frankly, a lot of the greatest receivers of all time that exclude, of course, Jerry Rice and all of those famous people, um, they don't even get to this point in their careers. They don't get to hoist the Lombardi Trophy. They don't get to hoist the Super Bowl MVP award as well. So let's just look at the season as a whole. The regular season, Cooper Cup ended 2021 with 1947. 1,947 total yards. He had 145 receptions and 16 touchdowns. That is what they call in the NFL a triple crown. He led all three statistical categories for wide receivers sparring along the NBA. Excuse me, the NFL. He also led the NFL in yards per game in 114.5. So quite frankly, um, when you talk about one of the best seasons, it is there. I don't know about the best because that extra game was a part of it, but because he led in every single category, I would say that he's definitely up there for it. Now, he also had 191 targets. That's not the most in the NFL, but again, almost 200 fucking targets is ridiculous. He was a Pro Bowl starting wide receiver. First team All-Pro. 2021 Offensive Player of the Year. I mean, the, the, the list goes on and on. And then now Super Bowl MVP. Now, when you look at his stats in the postseason, again, a top-targeted, a top-performing wide receiver in the postseason. He had 386 yards in four games. He had four touchdowns, and he had 128 yards per game. Is there really anything that you can say here like that is going to exclude him from being able to output this much uh, uh, success? Is there really anything that you can say to counteract that, honestly? Because he is actually doing everything he needed to do. And if anything, his performance in Super Bowl 56 solidified that for me because Odell went out, Matt Stafford was struggling, and in that final drive to take the lead, Cooper Cup was targeted four times for 39 yards, the game-winning, the game-winning touchdown, and he also had a key pivotal fourth-down conversion for seven yards on a, rush for seven, uh, on, on a rushing attempt for a, for a motion sweep. So what does he not do? He's also a great blocking wide receiver. He's a great teammate, and he plays pretty much all over the field, out of the backfield, in the slot. He can play wide. Obviously, he plays majority in the slot, but overall – Cooper Cup was able to do it all season long at a consistent clip, very successful. And when you win a Triple Crown, Super Bowl MVP, and every other accolade you can aside from an MVP, 
that's got to be somewhere in a top two, top three kind of statistical season that a wide receiver could have. I know he didn't break Megatron's single season record and he didn't do it in 16 games. But when you look at everything else that the man did, I, I, I can't say that it is the best receiver season, but in terms of all time, top three, hands down. There's been many great wide receiver seasons that we've seen in NFL history. The, the one that really kind of stands out to me was, I think it was like a Jerry Rice's like third or fourth year in the league. He had 22 touchdowns in 12 games. Granted, he only had like 60, 65 catches and maybe like a touch over like a thousand yards. But like that type of output in such a short period of time is out fucking standing. And when you look at Cooper Cup this year, Cooper Cup was phenomenal from beginning to end. And it really kind of goes to show that look at the situation that Cooper was dealt with last year. Jared Goff. Now, granted, you know, Jared Goff did go to one Super Bowl. But really, Jared Goff wasn't the driving force of the reason why the Rams went to the Super Bowl when they played the Patriots in Super Bowl 53. You replace him with Matt Stafford. And look at the difference. Cooper Cup is now regarded as one of the best wide receivers in the game. And to me, Cooper Cup was already on that type of ascension of being one of the better receivers in the league. But after this season and having Matt Stafford at the helm throwing him the football, you could arguably say that Cooper Cup is the best wide receiver in the game as far as just overall production goes. I, I mean, he doesn't necessarily have like the most athletic skill set that we've seen at the wide receiver position. You know, there's some other guys like DeAndre Hopkins. We've seen guys like Calvin Johnson, Randy Moss, where their athletic skill is more uh, superior than Cooper Cup. But where Cooper Cup makes the magic happen is his route running is impeccable. He's able to catch the ball in traffic. And he's able to make plays happen in the most critical moments of the game. And Kevin, it's like you said, you know, the guy was great from beginning to end the season. And really, the achievements for this year in regards to him stand out in particular. Unanimous All-Pro. He won the NFL receiving triple crown as far as catches, yards, and touchdowns go. He had 33 postseason catches, which is the most in NFL history, if I'm not wrong in that regard. When NFL Offensive Player of the Year, like you mentioned, and in the Super Bowl, was the main driving force offensively for the Rams and came up with the biggest touchdown, which was the game-winning touchdown at the end of the fourth quarter. I mean, Cooper Cup really deserves to be in that rare air as far as like the best wide receivers in the game currently. Now, as far as all time, I can't really put him as like, oh, he's like one of like the top five greatest wide receivers of all time. He's nowhere near that yet. But for this season and this season alone, to me, he had one of the greatest wide receiver seasons in NFL history. For me to say he had the single-handedly the greatest one of all time, that's a bridge a little bit too far for me. I still look at like what, what Randy Moss did in 2007 with the Patriots, where the guy was unstoppable. And it wasn't just what he was doing. It was how he was doing it. You know, 23 touchdowns. I think he had 24 total touchdowns with the one touchdown that he had in the Super Bowl and Super Bowl 42 that year. I still look at that season that Randy Moss had as it was just more impressive than what Cooper Cup did. But dude, the numbers don't lie. Cooper probably had the most productive wide receiver season that I've ever seen. And 
that's got to count for something. And I got to give tip of the cap to the guy. The guy was a great receiver for the Rams this year. He will continue to be that. And as long as Matt Stafford is throwing him the ball, this guy is going to produce at an unbelievable clip. And I have no doubt in my mind, as long as he stays healthy, he could put up very similar numbers next year compared to what he did this year. That I could see entirely without a doubt. And let's not forget, Cooper also plays special teams. He yeah. returns punts sometimes. Mm-hmm. That's something that Randy Moss hadn't done since his rookie year. Versatility. That's something that Jerry Rice did not do for the majority of his career. So, I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not making the point that he's the greatest, but when you incorporate him being on the field for more snaps than a, a lot of these other players are and risking his health nowadays uh, on the field on these punt returns – you can make the argument that he really did have one of the greatest seasons ever because I'm almost positive the man did uh, have some significant uh, runbacks this year. I don't believe he had any touchdowns, but you know, overall, he's contributing to another phase of the game that others did not and still outputting a successful number statistically for the Rams. Well, well, think about it. And he's coming off of a torn ACL, too. So, I mean... Is he? Well, he tore his ACL, I think it was either last season or the season before. I so, know that. I mean... You know, coming back from a torn ACL, it doesn't matter if it was last year or the year before. I mean, some guys never are able to recapture, you know, the original play style that they had before that injury just because it could be such a debilitating injury. And the fact of the matter is, is that Cooper Cup, with Matt Stafford at the helm, that was a difference maker. Because I mean, because yeah. Cooper Cup was ascending as far as like his status as a good receiver in the NFL while Jared Goff was there. But you bring a guy in like Matt Stafford, and it's a night and day difference. And that really kind of goes to show is like, I, I think, to be honest with, with you, Kev, I underestimated how effective that that connection was going to be this year. I knew that it was going to be solid moving forward. But when you kind of look at it, like just from like a fantasy perspective, if you're going into next season, would you possibly pick Cooper Cup as a number one pick? because of the production that you're able to get from him. If the guy has a similar season next year, like he did this season, where he has like 140 catches, freaking 17, 18 touchdowns, and over 2,000 yards receiving, or close to it. That's something that I have to consider. And I think as long as they stay injury, barring any sort of setback or any sort of injury, I think they're more than capable of doing that again. And because it's going to be a struggle, though, if, if they don't re-sign Odell, Robert Woods is not going to start the season right away. You probably, I assume he's going to miss a game or two because he tore his ACL. He'll be coming back from that a little slowly as well. We'll, we'll see how the rehab process goes with him because he exactly did, he did he did suffer that injury not at the end of the season, no middle, like, of the middle of the year. Of the so year. He should be back. Yeah, I mean, I imagine that he'll be kind of like getting back into the groove of things by training camp, and then probably by week one. I don't know if he'll be all the way back, but I think he'll be playing by then. Yeah, so I mean, we'll have to see what happens there. But if it ends up just being him, um, it will actually kind of, we'll see how it is because he'll, he'll be the only option, similar to what he was in the Super Bowl this year. But I mean, even before they signed Odell, I mean, he was still a monster. And, th- and I'm talking about like when Robert okay. Woods was, was there alongside like Van Jefferson. Cooking. Cooking. I mean, to me, it, it, he was just a model of consistency this year. And the guy was sure handed too. The guy did not drop too many passes. So 
I mean, I got to give him a lot of credit, bro. He's really ascended to the top tier of wide receivers. But it really kind of goes to show what happens when you get a great quarterback in the fold with Matt Stafford. Because with Matt coming in, it took Cooper's game to the next level. You can't deny that. Yep. And, I, and I mean, I mean, arguably, I mean, you know, th- th- this could be a great connection that they could form for the next couple of years. Because this was only year one. Now that they have a year of chemistry built underneath them, they already had the foundation set. Now they could just build upon what they already did this first year, and they already won a Super Bowl. So I don't know if they're going to be able to you know, outperform what they did this year, but with those two, you never know. You never really know. But, you know, we can talk about Cooper Cup and Matt Stafford all day, but we do got to focus on the defensive side of the ball with the Rams, and that's Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald, who's probably one of the greatest defensive players of this generation, if not arguably the greatest defensive player of this generation, made a significant impact in that game against the Bengals in Super Bowl 56. Came up with some crucial tackles. I believe he had like a sack, sack and a half in that game against the Bengals and was responsible for two big plays at the end of the game stopping the Bengals from converting a first down on third and one with about 40, 45 seconds left, and then being able to get pressure on Joe Burrow on a fourth and one to force him to throw a ball in the dirt and essentially gave the Rams the Super Bowl title over the Bengals. Now, Kevin, to pose the question to you, do you believe that Aaron Donald's performance against the Bengals was enough to earn him a Super Bowl MVP over Cooper Cup? think so. I mean, Vaughn Miller was able to do it when he was uh, competing against Cam Newton in Super Bowl 50. Granted, I believe Vaughn Miller had two and a half, if not three sacks in that game, and Aaron Donald was only able to accumulate two. But the difference is that people don't really realize if this was a metric, I believe that it should be counted towards the defensive side because it impacts the game that much. Aaron Donald was the most double and triple teamed defensive tackle, if not defensive player in the league by like 30%. Like in terms of closest to the next person, he was farther by 30% more than the the next person up. Aaron Donald was double and triple teamed pretty much the entire first half until Raheem Morris was able to adjust the defense and send us a, a fifth rusher to where Vaughn Miller and Floyd were able to impact the game single coverage, like I said earlier. But when you have one man at six feet tall, demanding two to three grown men of six feet plus to block him because he's that scary or that strong, that should be a metric. That should be a stat. That should be something that is mentioned in the review of, damn, man, this guy was like, he was going after it every single play he was on the field. This man was fighting through double chip blocks, running back chip blocks, tight end blocks, like, he was going through the run of the mill, okay? And Aaron Donald rightfully deserves to be in the discussion for Super Bowl MVP because of everything he was able to overcome, because of the impact that he had to sack Joe Burrow on that game-stealing defensive stop with that sack, because of the presence that he was able to bring to the table and to lift that defense up. Now, Aaron Donald actually you know, attributes a lot of his vocal improvements in terms of leadership to Von Miller coming to the team and assisting him in developing that internal voice. But 
you can see that Aaron Donald was on that sideline getting into it whenever Matthew Stafford was on the field. You can see that he was getting his teammates up and ready to go for every defensive play. I mean, for God's sakes, on the final drive that the Bengals stepped onto the field, Aaron Donald full sprinted to where the defense needed to line up. He was the first person on defense to get ready. And, of course, he was the last person to make the most important play. Dude, two sacks when it mattered the most, two tackles for loss, obviously, three quarterback hits. He was doing everything he needed to do. Aaron Donald is going to go down as probably one of the best defensive forces in NFL history. Kyle already said it. He's the greatest one in our generation. And with the rumors circulating that he might retire after this year, my mind is kind of in a flux. So I don't even want to incorporate that. But he hangs it up if he does decide to do that with the Super Bowl championship. But if you really want to talk about it, Aaron Donald definitely, definitely should have been considered for that MVP. Well, and that was kind of the thing is like, honestly, there were three players all kind of in the running for Super Bowl MVP because you could look at it like Matt Stafford, he had three touchdowns in that game, including the game-winning one, the Cooper Cup. Yeah, but he had two picks, though. I knew that wasn't going to happen. I'm just saying, like, as far as consideration goes. And then you, yeah. had, you had Cooper Cup. You know, Cooper Cup had an amazing game, ended up winning Super Bowl MVP. And then the third one is clearly Aaron Donald. And to me, when I look at it, I honestly thought that Aaron Donald was going to get it over Cooper Cup. But, you know, they gave it to Cooper Cup, who, who deserved it. But I think that Aaron deserved it a little bit more, and here's why. Because the thing about Aaron Donald's presence on the defensive side of the ball, when you're going up against a guy like that throughout the entire week leading up to a game, a lot of the film study is just watching that man literally manhandle 300 to 350-pound linemen and basically toss them to the side like they're ragdolls. And Aaron Donald has done that consistently throughout his entire NFL career. And even in this game alone, he was a force to be reckoned with from beginning to end. I think really where he stepped up was in that second half of the game. Just because I do think that those double teams that Cincinnati had in the first half, they they definitely slowed him down a little bit. He was still making plays here and there, but he wasn't as effective as we normally see him. But in that second half, he was making so many plays and I'm not talking about like little small plays here and there. I'm talking about, you know, game deciding type plays that can change the course of a game. Got a nice sack in the third quarter, I believe. And it wasn't just like one sack. I mean, he was constantly getting pressure on Joe Burrow. Really, I mean, the Rams front four brought pressure all day, getting seven total sacks. And Aaron was definitely a part of that throughout the entire course of the game. But to me, what really stood out was these game-defining plays at the end of the fourth quarter. Cincinnati's marching down the field. Granted, they're down by three. You know, they get a field goal to tie. They get a touchdown to win. And on third and one, he gets a huge stop that forces Cincinnati into a fourth and one situation. And on fourth and one, he's able to escape whatever the offensive line of Cincinnati was presenting in front of him. Gets a run at Joe Burrow. And forces Joe into a situation where he's got to just fling the ball up and hope for the best. And it's all because of one guy getting to him. And that's Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald, to me, as far as I'm concerned, I think he did enough to earn Super Bowl MVP. And I think he should have won it simply just because when you demand a constant double team from the offensive line, 
that frees up so many that frees up so much more space for other guys like Leonard Floyd, Von Miller to make plays. And it's because if you don't double team Aaron Donald, if you just go one on one, he's going to destroy the guy that's lined up next to uh, lined up against him. And even in times when the Bengals went one on one against him, he won those matchups for most of the time every time that he was presented with them. So, all in all, Aaron Donald was one of the best players that we've seen in recent memory on the defensive side of the ball. He made critical plays when they needed to be made in this game against the Bengals. And I think he definitely deserved winning Super Bowl MVP. Now, we'll see what happens as far as his career goes because he did talk about possibly retiring uh, before this game had the Rams won this one. I mean, it'd be a hell of a way to go out. I mean, the eight seasons that he... The eight seasons that he's played in the NFL have been nothing short of phenomenal. I think he's basically been a, an all-pro, either like first team or second team, that entire time. And even though if he does, does decide to retire from the game, it'd be sad because I think he still has a lot left in the tank, and it would be unfortunate not seeing him play on Sundays. But I think he would hang it up as probably the greatest defensive player of this generation and you could arguably put him in the Mount Rushmore of greatest defensive NFL players of all time I have no problem making that jump just because the guy's been so consistent since he first got into the league and this was his career defining game and he stepped up and rose above the occasion so congratulations to Aaron Donald on winning Super Bowl 56 and um for me personally, I hope we could see him keep playing because, I mean, it really is an honor and a privilege to see what this guy is capable on the defensive side of the ball. Got to give it up to him, bro. He deserves it. Dude, he's just he's too dominant. I mean, I know yeah. we continuously bring up the physical aspects, but for those of you that don't necessarily understand, like offensive linemen are anywhere from like 6'4 to 6'8, like – you know, two ninety Those are men. They're, they're, those are just houses. And I'm not saying that Aaron Donald isn't, but there's easily like a four to six inch discrepancy in height and weight. It's almost a hundred pound difference. I mean, but Aaron Donald is 260, 275 pure. Like there's pictures of him after a workout. He's just pure muscle. And he is like bullying these offensive linemen. We've seen it with you know one why? hand. We've seen it with speed. I mean, for God's sakes, we saw him bully a guard in the Super Bowl, like off snap, just pushed him all the way back. You know why? And it was, it, it, you know why? Why? He gets why? lower. He gets lower. He gets better leverage. And that's why. Granted, he may not be, you know, 6'5, six, 6'6, six, six, but he's able to use his size in advantage for him against those offensive linemen because if he's able to get leverage by getting lower and being able to get around the guy that he's going up against. It's very difficult as an offensive lineman to counteract that, especially when a guy is getting lower on you and has just so much force when he's making contact at the line of scrimmage. That's why he's getting constantly double teamed. It's just his speed off the ball and the fact that he's able to gain leverage so quickly. That's why teams are always kind of scared going up one-on-one against him because there's really nobody that can consistently go one-on-one against him and actually hold their own. It's always a double team. And sometimes, for God's sake, you need three guys to stop one dude. That's just, It's just, Kevin, you don't see that. 
I mean, no, you, no, you, you, de- you definitely you, don't, bro. You're talking about like guys like Lawrence Taylor and Reggie White who had that type of impact on just the defensive side of the ball. Like it's incredible. Thirty, forty years ago. I Same. mean, it's it's unbelievable, and I mean, people have been saying this for a while that Aaron Donald, like, sometimes he gets voted as like the number one player in the NFL. I mean, when you look at it, he's. He, you can make a case that he's probably been the best player in the NFL for like the last three years. You know, I know there's some other guys that you can consider like Patrick Mahomes, uh, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, granted the quarterbacks always get a lot of the shine and a lot of the respect as, as far as being like the number one player in the league goes. This dude, this dude, Aaron Donald. mm -mm, This dude is different, different. He's just, bro. He's just, He's insane, and I I, yeah. I I want to see him keep playing. He's only thirty. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole different narration, and you know we don't want to speculate. We heard the rumor from Rodney Harrison live in the in the Super Bowl pregame when that announcement came through. That shocked the world. I mean, Twitter erupted. I didn't see it coming. Like, dude, everybody was kind of broken. So we don't want to talk on it yet. Yeah. We'll see what happens and what he decides. But. Yeah. uh yeah, we could talk about Aaron Donald all day. We do have to hit on the Cincinnati but, side, though. But, but before we go into the Cincinnati side, if there's one thing that we learned about possible retirement uh, stories, the best to sit and wait on it because God only knows if Tom Brady comes back. If we were a little bit too premature about it, let's just make sure our ducks are in a row when it comes to Aaron Donald if he actually decides to retire this time. <laughs> yeah. But it would really be unfortunate if um, he did retire. But if he did... Amazing career, and honestly, there's no better way to go out than the way that he did. There's On top, bro, right into the sunset. 30 years old, got the rest of his life to do whatever, got a family, got kids. I mean, not much more you can ask. And Van Jefferson, I think, probably had the best day of his life, too. Won a Super Bowl ring, Super Bowl title, and is, I think, had his first child. His wife. Yeah, yeah his wife went into labor. Yeah. Game. So, bro, he's, he's having... A hell of a day. And in a good way, too. Not in a bad way. I mean, probably one of the best days of his life. So Florida Gator. Yeah. We, we talk about your boy Vernon Hargraves, though, on the Cincinnati side in a little bit, bro. Oh, I don't want to claim him. Hey, Dawson, if you still listen, that's your boy, bro. I don't want to talk about him. I hate him. Bro, you got to go get him. He's out here acting up. Call Dawson. Dawson will get him. Bro, inactive and still acting up. <laughs> but it's like what we mentioned earlier, you guys. You know, when there's a winner to the Super Bowl, unfortunately, there is a loser. And that is the Bengals. And the Bengals, you know, despite taking an L in the Super Bowl against the Rams, the Bengals had a phenomenal run this year. And I think I think it's pretty safe to say that they played the underdog role extremely well throughout this playoff run, especially getting huge wins on the road against teams like the Titans and the Chiefs. When I don't think a lot of people were really banking on the Bengals coming through and getting those upset wins, but they proved a lot of people wrong and they showed the rest of the world that this team is young. They're hungry. And I wouldn't be surprised if they find themselves in a situation similar to this one in the near future. Now, Kevin, to kind of like form some sort of question to you with the Bengals losing Super Bowl 56, who do you think is most responsible for Cincinnati losing this game against the Rams? Well, I mean, I, I got I got to give it straight. I mean, first and foremost, I'm looking at the offensive line. Joe Burrow was sacked seven times this game. 
Joe Burrow was sacked, I believe, only two or three times in the first half. I believe only two. So you're telling me he was sacked five times in the second half? You guys were unable to make an adjustment. Your offensive line was unable to try to keep their franchise upright. Joe Burrow almost exited the game because he got bent up on a play because he was sacked and people fell on top of him and his right knee got bent up underneath. So you already tore your left knee. You already tore your left knee. Do you really need to go out there and tear the next one up? So that's first. Second, I'm looking at Zach Taylor, head coach of the Bengals, because he calls the offensive plays. That last drive was horrendous. You get nine yards on the first play on first and ten. It's second and one. Terrible play call. Third and one. You go right into a, a, a draw play that went nowhere. Aaron Donald was able to muscle Joe Mixon back. And then, of course, on fourth and one, Aaron Donald immediately penetrates, gets the game-winning sack. So you're just looking at Zach Taylor like, what are you doing? Um, Jamar Chase was able to make a big play on the first play of the, you know, the drive. And then, of course, the next play was able to get nine with T. Higgins. And then, of course, right after that, it was just shit play after shit play after shit play. And I don't know, man, it just showed inexperience. It just showed maybe a little overconfidence. I mean, I know me and Kyle talked about it earlier uh, as the game had concluded, but that was probably one of the worst fourth quarter play calling situations I could have ever seen. I mean, you were literally cooking with Jamar. Joe Mixon was having one hell of a second half and averaging 4.8 yards per clip in the game. But in the second half, he was definitely averaging almost 10 yards a carry because am I lying? Kyle in the fourth quarter looked like he was averaging like eight, nine yards a clip. It was just, they couldn't touch him. So I don't understand why they didn't lean on the run. I don't know why they didn't go back to Jamar chase. So Zach Taylor to me is the second portion, but Kyle and I made this point in the beginning of the year. And I am going to stand by this point until this is fixed. Jamar Chase had an incredible year, Offensive Rookie of the Year. He damn near could have went all pro. Uh, He had one of the greatest rookie seasons, if not the greatest rookie season of all time. It came down to protecting the franchise. It came down to Joe Burrow being upright. Do you guys understand he was sacked 19 times this year in the playoffs? He was sacked... 51 times in the regular season. Do the math. That is 70 times in one season my franchise quarterback was sacked. And by my, I mean like, you know, like the quarterback as a whole, like Joe Burrow. I'm not a Bengals fan. I'm saying like, if I'm looking at it as a Bengals fan, my man was on the ground more times than he ever should be after tearing an ACL. 19 times beats the previous NFL record of 14 times. By Wade Wilson in 1987. How in God's name they got this far after the escapade that went down in Tennessee, tying a playoff record with nine sacks in one game, is beyond me. The Cincinnati Bengals have a big problem. They hit on Jamar Chase. Thank God. Good for them. But man, if this does not get corrected immediately, Joe Burrow is going to be just like Andrew Luck. I have been telling Kyle this all season long. Tall, big arm, can make the throws, confident, great teammate, poised in the pocket, all of it. Injuries. Offensive line struggles. It's literally a complete repeat offense from 2012. Andrew Luck inherits a shitty offensive line, except Joe Burrow's got way more playmakers and a better defense. So, I don't know how this is going to go in the future, but if Cincinnati doesn't pick a page from, uh, or should I say, if Cincinnati doesn't not pick a page from Ryan Grigson's book, it's got to be this whole draft. I don't want to see one defensive player drafted. This better be like six, seven straight picks of offensive linemen 
offensive lineman in free agency. I don't give a shit. You got to the playoffs with Joe Burrow getting beat up. It's the first time in NFL history the most sacked quarterback in the regular season goes to the Super Bowl. So I'm just saying, Cincy's got to figure something out, man. And if not, their franchise is going to be hurt a whole lot more. I mean, as far as the game is concerned, as far as who's most responsible, I have to say Zach Taylor. And it really strictly comes down to play calling. Now, despite the fact that I think, by and large, this game was relatively a defensive game just because both offenses really couldn't get anything going for the most part in the second half outside of maybe like a drive or two where teams were putting up points. It's just that last drive. Zach Taylor, I think, started off the play calling fine. I think that was a nice play that Joe uh, threw to uh, Jamar Chase, was able to get past Jalen Ramsey, got like 25 yards on that play. And it set them up in good position to get in field goal range as far as like getting within that range relatively quickly. The problem for me is when it came down to the last three plays of the drive. Second and one. I don't know what Joe was looking at as far as throwing it to Jamar Chase, but throws it 25 yards past Jamar. I think Jamar broke off the route. And then you go to third down. Third down, they get shut out on third and one. And then on fourth down, you're going out of the shotgun on fourth and one. Now, the play call that they had in mind, I don't know if it was going to work out. I don't know who Joe was looking to specifically on that fourth down. But they had one more timeout in their pocket. And I would have been more interested to see uh, the Bengals try to run it on second down instead of third down. Because to me, when you're on the fourth down, on the fourth and one, you're in a passing situation anyway. Because, you know, even if you do get the first down, you have to burn a timeout. And typically you don't want to burn a timeout when you're trying to get in field goal range with only 30, 35 seconds left. But just the the play calling at the end of the game, I think it really shows Zach Taylor's youth and inexperience when it comes to making the right play calls in just critical moments of the game. And mind you, I mean, the Bengals got all the way to the Super Bowl this year. So that's there's a lot of credit that you got to give Zach Taylor for, for getting this team to where they were. But I think that there were some play calls at the end that really cost them a chance to get in field goal range. Because honestly, they really only needed about 10 yards for Evan McPherson. And Evan McPherson throughout this playoff run has been phenomenal for Cincinnati with hitting some clutch kicks. And unfortunately, he was never really to get into a situation to possibly get that game into overtime. Because I think had the Bengals gotten some better play calling from Zach Taylor, they probably could have either won the game or at least tied the game. And unfortunately for them, they left some plays out on the field. They just weren't able to execute. And that's why the Bengals are going home, not as Super Bowl champions. And Kevin, I want to hit on the point that you made about their long-term future with Joe Burrow. I'm 100% with you on this one. You have to protect him at all costs. And the fact of the matter is, is that offensive line is just weak. I know that Joe keeps a very cool demeanor. He doesn't get a lot of th- he doesn't get flustered by huge moments of the game where he doesn't get super frustrated when things are going their way. But I know in the back of his head that him taking all these hits is it's annoying. And it's going to get to a point where he's going to start suffering some really big injuries outside of the ones that he's already sustained in the first two years of his career. I mean, Joe Burrow, 
he has the potential of being probably the best quarterback in Bengals franchise history. I mean, he's already off to a good start. He's already taken them to a Super Bowl in his first two years. And I wouldn't be surprised if he takes them to another one um, in the future. But their main priority this offseason is to get protection for that guy because that's your franchise piece. He shows you that he can go out and make the big plays when they matter the most. And if he's constantly getting hit, that could shorten a player's career. We've seen it, like you said, with Andrew Luck. And hopefully Cincinnati can learn a thing or two from Indy's mistakes so that Joe Burrow can play for 10, 15 seasons and not suffer the amount of hits that Andrew Luck did with Indy. So all in all, you know, the Bengals are in a good position. They have a great quarterback piece in the fold for themselves. I think Zach Taylor is a competent coach moving forward. But in this game specifically, I do think that the play calling cost them in this one. And it's unfortunate because I really do think the Bengals were this close to winning a Super Bowl. But bad play calling and poor execution. That's why they're going home. It's just unfortunate for them. Yeah, I mean, but what did you expect? It wasn't going to be a perfect Super Bowl from either coach. It wasn't going to be a flawless Super Bowl from either Super Bowl quarterback. I mean, you, no. you saw Matthew Stafford made some big mistakes. You saw, obviously, like you made the point, Zach Taylor's play calling was questionable. I mean, for God's sakes, Joe Mixon had 78 yards on 15 touches. I don't understand why he didn't have more personally because I said in my take, if Joe dominates, and by Joe I meant Joe Mixon because I called Joe, Joe Burr, I call him Joseph because he's that damn good. We're on a first-name fucking basis. Um, yo, there's no reason why Joe Mixon should not have had, like, 100 yards on the ground, like, 40, 50 yards uh, in the air. He threw a touchdown to, to, to T. Higgins. So, I mean, like, he was impactful in every single way, and the run game was very much alive. Yeah. So, for, for Joe Mixon not to get more touches, like Kyle alluded to, on that drive itself and then prior to it, to me, it doesn't really make much sense. Yeah. But – Again, it's it's an experience. Yeah, there was a stretch, I think, kind of like towards like the later parts of the second quarter and for most of the third quarter. The Bengals couldn't get going anything offensively. Yeah, like, no, not like, at all. Like, it didn't matter like if Joe was throwing it or, or Joe Mixon was running it. It didn't matter. It's just the Rams' defense was playing phenomenal in that third quarter, and honestly, they needed to because, I mean, after that Matt Stafford interception in the third quarter, the Rams were on their heels. And, you know, the Rams made some big plays that needed to be made. And, you know, not just offensively, but defensively. And really, I mean, they stymied the Bengals in that third quarter primarily. And even in the fourth quarter, you know, they just, the Bengals couldn't get anything moving. Just not they didn't have the consistency. And, Kevin, I know we didn't mention this, but, bro, how bad was that missed call by the refs. I was literally first... just about to bring it up, bro. Like, we are always on the same page. I, I, you know, you miss calls in, in football games. I mean, it happens. I mean, there are holding calls essentially on every play that some refs miss. But Jalen Ramsey getting his face mask pulled by T. Higgins, correct? Yeah. And them not calling the flag on that. That's an atrocious miss. Now, I do appreciate the fact that the refs weren't really a big factor in this game until probably the last, like, until the end. 
But that's a play that you have to throw the flag on that one because that one was so blatant. And I can understand Jalen being pissed about that one because it was clear as day that T ripped his face mask. And, and, you know, I know that Jalen didn't necessarily have the best game because he was kind of getting burnt out there a little bit. But uh, on that one, a lot of it. I can't blame Jalen on that one. I mean, Jalen got no. pulled, Jalen got his freaking face pulled. Like, yeah, no, that one's not on him. No, in in essence, the call itself wasn't called. That was bad. The refs were just just completely oblivious to it. I don't understand how you are. You have a sideline judge. You have a judge in the middle of the field behind the safety. Like the ball's in the air. You got to be looking at the receivers right there. That's the sideline judge. Make sure you make the catch. Make sure it's in. You know what I'm saying? Like his yeah. literal job is to watch how the play develops along the sideline. You are the sideline judge. How you miss an offensive player swinging the defensive player across your body and then Jalen basically doing a somersault into the ground is beyond me. Now, I will say, Jalen Ramsey's getting cooked because the initial release upon T. Higgins on the route, Jalen bit down and T. was able to run the fade. If Joe leads him, there's no reason for him to even touch Jalen Ramsey. But he floated it a little high. It was a little underthrown, so T. had to come back to the ball, which led to the, the, the foul that, acute, that, that occurred. And I think that if that was a better throw, Joe is Joe's tossing that and, and Jalen is burnt for the second time or in a row that game, the first one being the Jamar Chase one down the sideline in the first quarter. So – Jalen did not have a good game, but that call in and of itself should have been immediate. Easy. Like, Easy. and I mean, like within a second of him, his face whipped this way. Like, I don't like. It should have been an instant. And, and you know the thing is, you know, because sometimes like we could be a little bit prisoner of the moment based on the slow mo, uh, instant replay that we see on the broadcast. But bro, when you watch it at full speed, I mean, it's it's obvious, it's blatant. And, like, to me, you know, as a referee, you have to be obligated to call call that when it's that clear and obvious. And the thing is, I think that played a huge factor psychologically for the Rams in, like, the first, like, five minutes of the third quarter. Because you know what happened right after? Matt threw the pick. I mean, that, that was a deflection, though. That shouldn't have been on Matt. That was a deflection. That was I, a drop pass. I, I know, because the, the, the wide receiver that was basically replacing OBJ... I think he stopped running the route. Or he yeah, like he, he, like, he, he, he was he, like he too far up, out. He slowed up on the route. And I mean, you want to talk about like a game of flips like where the momentum is flipped completely? You have the no call on the pass interference. And then you have the interception right after that. That game could have been blown wide open. And the Bengals only got three out of it. I it, texted you. I said that, that should have been seven. It should have been. Because all the momentum was on Cincinnati's side at that point. And they're just a little bit short. But you have to give the Rams a lot of credit defensively. That was a moment where the game was slipping for them. You know, you get burnt on the first play in the third quarter. Quarterback with Matt Stafford throws a pick. You guys got to make a stand. And they were able to because we've seen it. We saw just a couple weeks ago when Casey turned the ball over against the Bengals. The Bengals punished Casey by converting them into points. And yep. this one, they were able to get points, but they weren't able to get touchdowns. That's the difference. Because had Cincinnati gotten a touchdown off of that interception, that would have of of crushed them. Because, yeah, I mean, at that point, now you're down double digits. That changes the entire complexion of the game. 
Now, Matt could have come back from that, and the offense could have come back for that for the Rams. Yeah. But, hey, a seven-point hole is a lot easier to work with than an 11-point hole. It's a lot easier. So, you know, the Rams made some big stops when they needed to, but that that missed call by the refs on that T. Higgins touchdown, that's Awful. just, it, bro. Awful. I, I don't know if I'd put it up there, like, as far as, like, uh, do you remember the one that took place uh, with the Rams and the Saints in the NFC Championship game back in 2018? Oh, my God. that was That's the worst one. That's the worst one. Like to, like to, no. But this one is near it. This one that was, was there, but not knocking somebody out before they even touched the fucking ball. Yeah, I mean. <sighs> that was a bad one. But we're not going to get into that one. That's a whole other conversation but, for another but, day. But, but it's like, you know, I, I mean, overall, I thought the refs were fine in this game up until the end of the game. Honestly, yeah, they had I, their makeup call. They had their makeup call, I mean, which on, sucks. But. Honestly, I don't really remember that many flags being thrown throughout the course there of were. the game. They said it. They said it in the fourth when that first penalty happened, where the offsetting penalties happened. Before the uh, – before actually, no. The offsetting penalties happened after the play I'm talking about where the uh, linebacker for the Bengals, Wilson. Zach Wilson? What's his name? No, no. Zach Wilson's the quarterback. The what? linebacker, 55. Was it that, or was it the offensive lineman uh, like hitting one of the the the, the Rams' defensive uh, linemen after a sack? Because there was that one unsportsmanlike conduct penalty that the, that the Bengals had um, that forced them into like a fourth and like twenty five, where they had to punt it. That happened in the third quarter. I don't know which. Yeah, player. no, I'm talking about the I'm talking about the fourth quarter, like legit, where the Rams were about to score, and then um, it was third and six or third and seven. Oh, and the holy call! The holy call! The, yeah, 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 yeah. The Bengals, the Bengals, That was the, he didn't even. The, you the, saw it in the yeah, camera. He, he was, like his hand wasn't even near him, and they, they that was a makeup call. To me, that was a makeup I, call. I, 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 I'll tell you this, because I even said it to my parents because I was watching the game with my parents, and we both we really all said it. it's like that was a makeup call. That was a makeup call from earlier. But I think what the refs were seeing, and this is just my interpretation of it, is that I think that they were thinking that they that the guy wasn't like grabbing the jersey and holding him. What I think that they thought was happening was that the linebacker was using his hand to push the receiver from slowing his his from slowing his speed down. I think that was probably what they were calling. Because you know, typically when you see, usually when you see a holding, usually you see like a bunch of jersey getting ripped. That's what you see. Yeah, I think by Eli when, Apple all fourth quarter. Burnt toast, my guy. Burnt toast. So that's why freaking all these NFL players are going after him. Roasting. Him. Roasting. Him. So, so if if you're a friend of Eli Apple's, somebody check on him, please. I hope he's okay. Yeah. I, I fear for his life. Yeah, you got to make sure we got to check on his mentals. But yeah, but dude, like. When I saw that play happen, I was like, I think they only called that because I think they called it because they was slow, he was slowing the momentum down. Because that was he was throwing it to Cooper Cup, correct? Yeah. I think they only called that because I think they might have thought that he was slowing down Cooper's progression. But I wouldn't really call that a holding. I would call that pass interference then. But even then, I pass interference, that was ew, that was ticky tack, bro. That was ticky tack. But you know, you know, the Rams capitalized on it, so yeah, it's all that matters. I mean, but uh, overall, great Super Bowl. Had a lot of fun watching it. Went all the way down to the end. Oh, yeah. We've got one more topic to hit before we wrap this up. And, you know, I know we've been talking about the Bengals a little bit. You know, second-year quarterback in Joe Burrow. Phenomenal year. 
believe if I remember correctly, throughout the regular season, he had like 34 touchdowns, uh, had a pretty big comeback year, went NFL Comeback Player of the Year um, this past weekend as well. Unfortunately, wasn't able to capture a Super Bowl title on top of that. But we saw leaps and bounds in Joe Burrow's progression as a quarterback, and I imagine that we'll, we will continue to see that moving forward in the new future with the Bengals with him at the helm. Now, Kevin, my question to you is, how confident are you that Joe Burrow can lead the Bengals to another future Super Bowl in the near future? I'm very confident. I think that Joe Burrow has the skill set. I mean, I've said this a hundred times in the last couple of weeks. It's not just how he plays on the field. It's how he carries himself. It's how he leads this team. It's the mentality that he carries throughout the entire game and throughout the entire season. We saw a kid come out of LSU as one of the greatest college quarterbacks, if not the greatest college quarterback to ever throw a a single pass in all of college sports. That used to be a title held by Tim Tebow. That used to be a title held by Cam Newton and all these other players. And then this kid from Ohio State transfers to LSU and then crushes every statistical record that could possibly be imagined and then caps with the national championship. He comes into the league. It's a number one pick to a dying franchise that hasn't had any relevance, if not any success in the past 20, 30 years. And he tears his ACL. Boom. Week 10. Oh my God. The Bengals got a lot to deal with. This kid's already hurt. Jesus Christ. They got to find a way to go and, and, and build something over there to help him stay up. Then the draft comes. They draft Jamar Chase instead of an offensive lineman. There was controversy there that Kyle and I dictated that said that that was going to come back to bite them, which it did. But Jamar Chase panned out a lot better than anybody thought. So overall, it kind of evened itself out to an extent. But they have the weapons. They have the coaching. They have the defense. Joe Burrow is a talented, effective, and efficient quarterback in the National Football League and can make every throw, long, short, coverage, throwing open, back shoulder, up in the flat. I mean, we've seen it mobility in the pocket to stay aware and present to extend plays with his feet. And he's not the most mobile and he's doing a lot of that because his offensive line sucks. As long as he stays healthy, Cincinnati is posed for a whole lot of success for the next five to 10 years. If they can keep him healthy. And I say that with the utmost confidence because that whole team is young. Tyler Boyd, T Higgins, Jamar Chase, all in their twenties. Joe Mixon in his 20s. If you could just give him a little bit of protection, just a little bit, just a, a little bit subpar average or just average, because we got to say that was enough for me to rate the Bengals offensive line as the worst offensive line in football. 19 sacks in the playoffs, absolutely unheard of. So they're definitely the worst offensive line after I saw what I saw. But Joe Burrow can do it all, man. I'm telling you, Joseph, that's a bad man. And he earned a seat at the table. Yeah, but I remember we were talking about this before we started recording, and I remember you made a mention of you think that the Bengals could potentially be a dynasty from getting multiple Super Bowl titles because of their offensive line issues. Like, you think that their offensive line is that porous that it's holding them from potentially getting multiple Super Bowl titles, which I'm in full agreement with you on this one. Now, as far as Joe Burrow is concerned, I have no doubt in my mind that Joe Burrow has the skill set to be able to get the Bengals back to a Super Bowl. 
And when I look at this year in particular, Joe had a phenomenal year. And granted, you know, he had a comeback player of the year type season, and that's why he was awarded uh, that award during the NFL award ceremony a couple days ago. I mean, 34 touchdowns throughout the regular season. But to me, I, I saw leaps and bounds in Joe's skills at the end of the season. Because I remember there was a two-game stretch in particular where Joe was lighting it up, where he damn near threw for 1,000 yards in back-to-back games. You never see that, especially from a second-year quarterback, unless you're maybe talking about someone like Patrick Mahomes, where he's given the green light to just throw it all day. And Joe's got the pieces around him to make this work because I think that that connection that he has with Jamar Chase, I think it's only going to grow exponentially as the years go on. And then hopefully they're able to retain some pieces like T Higgins and Tyler Boyd, because when you have that type of wide receiver core to work with, it's going to make Joe's life a lot easier because he could be able to rely on those guys to make big plays going down the stretch in the foreseeable future. The biggest thing though, with the Bengals is protecting him. And it all starts up on front. Kevin, I know you made a mention of this uh, just a few minutes ago, but if they don't get that worked out, I don't think that they could ever get back to a Super Bowl. I mean, that's how like drastic this is. If they're not able to fix it, it's going to be a while before we see Joe Burrow in another Super Bowl, just because you can't take those number of hits consistently. I mean, granted, he took 70 sacks this year. And yet, they, in, even despite the fact that they were able to make the Super Bowl, that's not something that you can bank on moving forward. So they have to find a way to be able to find some competent offensive linemen to at least cut those sacks by at least 35 or 40%. I'm not saying that you go from giving up 70 sacks to like giving up like 20. That's too big of a drop unless they make significant changes on the offensive line immediately. But typically, those things take a couple years to work out. But... I mean, as far as Joe goes, I, Joe is just a solid quarterback, and he is going to continue to grow. And even despite the fact that he didn't like blow me away with his individual performances in the playoffs, meaning like he didn't go out there and throw for like 400 yards and five touchdowns. But he did enough to show me that he puts his team in a position to win because he limits the amount of mistakes that he makes in big moment games. And even if he does make mistakes, he's able to rectify those and be able to come up with clutch drives and get some points on the board for Cincinnati when they need it the most. So Joe Burrow is really kind of setting himself in a great position moving forward. He's right in the mix with Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, as some of the best quarterbacks in the AFC as far as the younger quarterbacks go. And Joe could possibly be one of the best quarterbacks within the foreseeable future as long as he stays healthy. And hopefully Cincinnati understands what they need to do as far as protecting him goes because that's their number one asset. And if he's getting knocked down consistently like he was this year and last year, that could shorten a man's career. And hopefully Cincinnati understands that and they try to fix that sooner rather than later because I, I mean, this guy could end up in Canton one day. He's off to a great start. He's already been to a Super Bowl within his first two seasons. And I think if they continue to build around him and they build up that offensive line, I think that Cincinnati has a chance to go to multiple Super Bowls. But they have to work on the offensive line 
because you got someone like Joe Burrow back there. He makes things happen. And the swagger and the confidence that, that he possesses, you don't want to see that go by the wayside because he doesn't have faith in his offensive line. And unfortunately, we've seen some players lose confidence in their skills and their overall play because they're just guys on the offensive line who aren't doing their job. Hopefully that doesn't turn out to be the case. But I, the way that I see it, I think Joe Burrow is going to be back. I, I, I don't see a scenario where he never gets back to another Super Bowl. Uh, he's too good. And despite the fact that he's only 25 years old, this man is really kind of setting himself apart as a top-tier quarterback. And um, I think it's going to be sooner rather than later that we'll see him in another Super Bowl. I mean, I'm not going to get into the segment again. I'm not going to go down this path, but we're poised for successful football for the next 10 years. With the quarterbacks just in the AFC alone, we've talked about this a million times, but Joe Burrow getting to the Super Bowl before Josh Allen, before Justin Herbert, just as fast as Patrick Mahomes, or faster technically because Pat Mahomes did not reach the Super Bowl in his second year because that's when you guys beat him. So the success path that Joe Burrow has already started in his early career is putting him in some elite company. And if he continues this success, stays healthy, like we both said, there's no reason why Joe Burrow and Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen can't have battles of their own, like legit. I mean, like absolutely unnecessarily intense playoff battles that we're going to be sitting there eating. God knows how much popcorn is going to be accumulated of all the years of them going back and forth. So I'm looking forward to the future of football. It's in great hands and it's unfortunate we got to wait seven, seven months just to get some damn contact again. But that does not mean content is going to stop because we got plenty of stuff coming up. Obviously, we have a free agency starting March 16th. NFL draft is in April, as always. Got plenty of stuff coming up in the NFL. So Kyle and I will definitely keep everybody up to date on what's going on and all the stuff that's buzzing. But it's unfortunate, my friend. We have uh, we have just come to that point where uh, our favorite sport is over once again. I think before we wrap this up, I just now that the NFL season is over, just overall, just how do you think the season went? Just from beginning to end. I think it was great. A bunch of teams making the playoffs that haven't made the playoffs in God knows how long. We've seen some collapses. We've seen some win streaks. We've seen embarrassing losses. We've seen blowout wins. I mean, it was a good theatrical and entertaining season through in and throughout. I mean, the Packers, number one seed, falling in their first time in the playoffs. You got the 49ers sneaking their way in on the last day, going all the way to NFC Championship. You got the Colts' epic demise. You have the Jacksonville Jaguars having two of the biggest upsets of the entire season. I mean, you, you have rookie players that are balling the fuck out at Micah Parsons and Jamar Chase. I mean, the Rams win the Super Bowl at home. Tom Brady retires. Retires. I know, I know. We'll see. But the, the narratives are insane. The ratings are insane. The Super Bowl was great. I mean, it was capped off with a great game. So let's just put it that way. Last year's was a snooze fest because the Chiefs couldn't do anything right. But overall, great season. Absolutely excited for the future, like I just said. But man, oh man, this offseason is going to be interesting. Oh yeah, be a lot of stuff changing. So again, we will keep you updated on that regard. But what do you think about the season? I think for me, it's pretty simple. Um, you're really seeing a change at the guard. I think what you're seeing is it's really the infusion of youth, and this is we're going from one generation to the next. And I'm not just talking about the quarterback position; I'm talking about multiple positions. It's just. 
you know, I mean, you look at the quarterback position, like Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, you know, those guys are hitting the end of their careers. We'll see what happens with Tom. I don't know what the fuck's going to happen with him. He said he's retired, but we don't really know yet. He could be back, could not. So we'll see how that goes. Is Aaron Rodgers done? I mean, he won his fourth MVP. So it would tell me that he's still got a lot left in the tank. You know, Big Ben retires. So, you know, as far as the quarterback goes, you know, those guys are basically at the end or are done altogether. You know, but you also look at like the wide receiving court, for example. You know, you look at guys like Julio Jones. I mean, Julio Jones was top tier wide receiver a couple years ago. And it just, he's not the same. I, he still possesses great, a, a great skill set, but it's just injuries. And, you know, you look at like the wide receiving core of, you could look at the guys like Justin Jefferson. You could look at guys like Jamar Chase. Like these guys are relatively young and yet they're making names of themselves so quickly because of their dynamic skill sets. And that's really going to be one of note moving forward. And then, you know, just the, like I mentioned with the quarterbacks, you have all these young guys, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Mac Jones. I, I mean, really, when you look at the AFC, the quarterback, I mean, Lamar Jackson, I can't, I can't forget Lamar Jackson either. There's so much youth as far as the quarterback position goes in the AFC. We're set in the AFC for the next 10 to 15 years. Like, you're going to have great quarterback battles take place in that conference moving forward. And in the NFC, you know, I think the NFC is kind of, it's kind of up in the air right now. I think honestly. It's like mid-tier to veteran. I don't know. It's weird. Honestly, here's how I'll describe it. I think what you're going to see is you're going to see a flip as far as teams that come out of each conference. Because if you look at the NFC the last 10 years or so, there's primarily been a new team representing that conference every single year. It's not, I mean, outside of Seattle, where they went to back-to-back Super Bowls, there was like a new team that represented the NFC in the Super Bowl every year. In the AFC, it wasn't necessarily like that. It basically came down to the Patriots, the Chiefs, <coughs> and maybe teams like the Broncos Ravens twice. And the Ravens. And the Broncos twice. It was like maybe like four teams. That was it. You know, the other teams were competitive to a certain extent, but you didn't have a rotating door of teams coming and going into the Super Bowl representing the AFC. I think what you're going to see with these quarterbacks that are coming into the fold for the AFC is that's going to flip. I think the AFC is going to become a conference where there may be a new team representing the that conference every year, very similar to what we've seen in the NFC the last 10 years. I think we're kind of set up for that dynamic. Now, in the NFC, I don't know what's going to happen uh, just because I do think there is kind of a there's kind of a void at the top because, you know, we'll see what happens with the Rams moving forward to see if they could repeat their success, but we don't know where Aaron Rodgers is going. We kind of assume that Tom Brady has retired, but we don't really know if that door is entirely shut yet. It's kind of up in the air. Got the, Kyler, got the Kyler Murray situation currently ongoing right now. So, I mean, you know, it, it, I mean, Russell Wilson, great quarterback, but Seattle doesn't look like they're going anywhere positive. Jimmy right Garoppolo's now. on the move. But it, it really just kind of seems like the the NFC is kind of is going to be devoid of like top tier quarterback talent unless there's some really good quarterbacks that are drafted in the next couple of years 
for NFC teams. So, because usually the way that I've seen it is I've always kind of seen the NFC as the more competitive conference. And it's really kind of been that way the last 10 years or so. I think it's, be- I think it's going to become the AFC. I think it's, I think it's going to flip. That's how I see it. Yeah. Though. The shift in power. Yeah. It, but you know, it was about to happen. And now we're getting the, it, it really just, it really does feel like that, like our generation, like, you know, players, our age, you know, I'm 26, you're 27. So it's like players, our age are going to be coming into the fold and making names in themselves relatively soon if they haven't already. So, you know, really like, you know, you're going to see guys like our age really get their time to shine within the next couple of years or so, if they haven't already. And I know that I'm looking forward to it and I agree with you completely. I think the NFL is in good hands and um, you just hope for the best. That's all. But Kevin, I think that wraps it. I think that wraps it up for us. Don't you think? I think so. I mean, we are just two minutes away from 1.30 in the morning. I know I feel like I give you guys a lot of updates on when we're done recording, but with the Super Bowl ending late and having to figure out how we wanted to go about the topics and narratives, it took us a little bit to get situated. But nevertheless, um, as always, we thank you guys for all the support. The channel has been doing absolutely incredible the last couple of weeks. A couple videos popping off for a couple, uh, couple thousand views. I mean, the audio is a little on the slow side. We got some things in the works try to increase productivity. Uh, A couple of things we got planned out for the future and whatnot. We're not going to reveal anything as of yet, but we're looking to the future to improve in a lot of ways, as we've been saying for the past couple of days. So uh, with with football being over, definitely going to be heavily focused on a lot of NBA topic. You know, that's a tier for the both of us. But we will figure it out, as we always do. And again, without you guys, we wouldn't be here. So as always, thank you. Thank you so much. And we can't wait to... uh, can't wait to be making more content for the future of the year. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's like Kevin said, I mean, we're going to make a pretty hard pivot to the NBA uh, just because the uh, the football season has come to an end in the NFL. But, um, you know, we're coming up on our one-year mark as a, as a podcast. So uh, we've definitely got some things in the works. Um, you guys will find that out pretty soon. But um, we just appreciate you guys you know, showing support where you can, whether it's been on the audio side on, on Spotify or Apple podcasts or watching our YouTube content, uh, our YouTube content. We definitely appreciate you guys uh, giving us the support that you have. And uh, we hope that we get that continued support moving forward uh, as we reach our one year mark as the neighborhood podcast. Um, as far as uh, the episode for later this week, very similar to what we just brought up, expect a lot of NBA content. We may talk a little bit about some NFL topics if like some news comes up about certain players and certain decisions that are coming up. But um I do expect a lot of NBA content coming out. And if anything pops uh from anywhere else as far as content goes, uh we'll try to cover it as best as we can. But um Kev, I'm good on this side. Uh take us home from here, bud. All right, guys. So we will be seeing you guys come Friday morning, as we always do. We'll be recording on Thursday, as Kyle already alluded to. We're going to make some content. We're going to figure some things out. And obviously, uh, as always, we appreciate it all. We'll be seeing you guys soon. Peace out, you guys. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session. 
free from bias on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electricast production. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. 